0: This is uh, I love this meditation. This is one that Jerry Polski uses. Uh, I don't know if he uh, thought of this or not. Uh, but uh, I've seen him use it with children, and i just I just love it. Uh, it's simple enough simple minded enough that that I can do it. Uh, so uh, get comfortable. And close your eyes, and I'll I'll add just a little bit to it. But here's what I want you to picture: I want you to picture that there's a little trap door. I will to tell you, I have to tell you something. <laughs> I remember there was a there was a professor from uh, an Ivy League college. I won't even identify the uh, the college. An Ivy League college. Um, who heard? I heard this meditation, and um, you, what you do is you picture a little trap door in the top of your head. And he went. In, he he was a, a a professor of medical psychology, and uh, he was explaining, uh, you know, the physical damage that it would cause <laughs> if you were not, if you were actually have a trap door. So please don't be that literal minded about it. Close your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so I want you to picture a little trapdoor on the top of your head. And I want you to picture little teeny trapdoors at the end of each of your toes. <laughs> All right. Now for just a moment, consider what is in you we haven't opened the trap doors yet consider what is in you are you at this moment because of this past week are you feeling in any way uh, anxious sad about something that happened anxious perhaps about something that's going to come up do you feel any kind of uh, a weight a burden? Do you feel any sort of jealousy or anger? For just a moment, look very honestly at what you have been carrying around for the last week. See it within you. And if you are able to, picture it in some way. Perhaps as shadows. Perhaps as a particular color. And as you think of these instances of sadness or embarrassment or whatever, you might be interested to see that they appear to be located in a special spot. So your sadness appears to be located in a special spot. Notice that. Your anger seems to be located in a special spot in your body. Don't try to figure out what this means. Just notice that it tends to be true. So with your eyes closed, not only see what has happened this past week that may have upset you in any way, depressed you, and see where you think of it being inside your body. And now, open the little trap doors. So there's a little trap door at the very top of your head. Open that up and open the little trap doors at the ends of your toes. And picture the light of God pouring into the trap door at the top of your head. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful light so familiar, so pure, so brilliant, and yet so familiar somehow. It feels almost like home. This magnificent, all-including, all-forgiving light. And it is pouring into you And then picture coming out of the little trap doors at the ends of your toes all this stuff. So first your forehead and then your head fills up with the light. And your ears and your neck and it goes on down. You're just being filled up with the light. And as the light comes in, it's pushing out all this stuff. So see as it reaches each of these places where this thing or that thing or those people seem to be located. And notice how gently and how absolutely it pushes pushes it out of your body leaving behind a wake of only pure light, pure peace, pure forgiveness. And as this happens, notice that you actually can feel yourself relaxing from the tip of your head down as all this garbage, all this nonsense, all this insanity, all this rushing about, all this drama is pushed out and you're filled and filled and filled with light. Until finally, the light itself becomes. starts coming out of the tip of your toes. Pure and pure, more and more brilliant. And now you know that you are filled absolutely and totally with the light. And now, if you would like, just sit there and be the light for just a second or two. But you are the light, and should you wish to go any place and heal anyone, encompass any building, light up any corner, Of this troubled world, then of course you can do that and notice how easily you can do it. But notice also that simply by sitting there and being the light, you bless the world. That your light radiates and circles the world just by being yourself, just by being light. Do you see how there's only oneness with the people in this room when you're light? There's only stillness and oneness. Okay. Last time we were talking about marriage and, um, We were actually going through the vows at the dispensable church. Uh, So we had covered the first three lines in the vow. Uh, I promise to not question your needs. I promise to seek your peace. I promise to put your happiness first. And so we'll go on with that this morning. But before we do, I want to say that I realize that the subject of relationships makes many people very unhappy. And that's why I don't talk about relationships per se uh, that often. Um, The reason that anything makes us unhappy is that we take it out of context and think that somehow we are being asked to do something different in this part of life than we are in the other parts of life. This is how A Course in Miracles, for example, is misinterpreted. I've heard A Course in Miracles interpreted to mean you're not supposed to date uh, because of what's said in there about uh, special relationships. So... Uh, People read this and assume that special relationships are to be avoided. Of course, the course doesn't say that. In fact, it says they are unavoidable, that all relationships begin as special relationships. I've seen people read the course and uh, assume that they're not supposed to work. Uh, Possibly it's the line, I need do nothing. Uh, And so, of course, uh, the ego looks at that and says, oh, that means physical inactivity. Of course, it doesn't mean that. And then, as we said last time, uh, one of the favorite parts of the course that's misinterpreted. The way you know that something's misinterpreted in the course is the same way that you know it's misinterpreted in your own life, and that is you have to take everything else in the course and turn it upside down in order to sustain this particular interpretation. So, it looks as if What's being said in this one place in the Course is different than what's being said everywhere else. The Course, of course, urges you to be at peace. It says peace should be your only aim, your only goal, the only thing you seek, the only thing that you wish from any activity. It should be your guide and your path and your way home. And yet, if you take, for example, the passage... uh, If your brother makes an outrageous demand, do it, and interpret that as meaning, do uh, grant any verbal request made of you by another ego. If you were to interpret it that way, grant every verbal request made to you by another ego, then, of course, you cannot follow the injunction to be at peace because there are very few people who could do everything that another ego asked them to do verbally and remain at peace and keep their single goal at peace. But of course, that is the point that the ego has. That's, that's its goal, is to take truth, interpret it into behavior where it ceases to be truth, and say, and say this means such and such within the world. It means you must behave in this way. And as soon as you make a rigid behavioral rule, you, of course, will lose your peace because you will be conflicted about it. If someone asks you to give, give them all your money, you will probably be conflicted. Or if they ask you to uh, drink when you don't feel you should drink. And how many times? There are a number of people here who are in the AA program. How many times were you asked to drink after you decided not to, in one way or the other? Could you have remained at peace by granting that verbal demand? Of course not. And so that is obviously not what is meant by that section in the course. And another example is all the statements that are made about special relationships in the course. The ego reads those passages and thinks that something different is being said, that something different is being called upon within you. And of course, that's not true. So as I've said before, you could take out every passage on special relationships and holy relationships in A Course in Miracles and read the rest of it. And if you took it into your heart, you would automatically know everything to do regarding special and holy relationships because it is all the same. It is simply showing you how it applies. And this is what makes us unhappy, is that we think something different is being asked of us, and this is why so many people are sad about the subject of relationships. They aren't so sad if you simply speak or write about how to be happy. But it's the same thing. The rules are identical. No change is being asked for. Only the application differs. And so the next line that we come to in the vows of the dispensable church is, and this is, of course, taken from the St. Francis prayer, It is in giving that I receive. Now, most people read that it is from giving that I receive. And so what we do is we do, in fact, give our gifts of patience, thoughtfulness. But we take a quick look to see if it's being properly received. Notice this. Whenever you do something kind, your ego will step in and say, they owe you something, an acknowledgment, gratitude, thanks. And so there you've uh, fixed your uh, coutlet de volaille. What's coutlet de volaille? Um, <laughs> uh, Chicken Kiev is another, you know. But, all, of course, all the true dispensapalians here. Uh, or wouldn't be so unsophisticated as to call it chicken kiev. Now, Dave and I call it uh, Circle K Chicken. <laughs> That's all right. You can call it that. But, you know, you've beat the little white meat uh, all, you know, made into this little round ball. ball and you filled it with the with the warm butter and herbs. And, and you've set it before him. And he's reading the paper, the evening paper, do you see? And... Uh, reaches out sticks his little finger through it and uh, all the warm butter runs out and he says what's this dear and you're offended you've worked all day beating the lightning out make it into this little uh, perfectly sealed uh, ball to put your butter and herbs in I realize I do use a lot of food analogies here Ah. <laughs> uh, But I want you to know, I hold myself to five Snickers. It's absolute cutoff time, you know. No, let me say a word about this now. Now, I joke about white sugar, but as I have mentioned before, everything must be done in peace. And most people cannot deprive themselves entirely of sugar and not feel a sense of sacrifice. This was told to me by a holy man. <laughs> a little sugar is a good thing, he said. <laughs> and actually went into Senor Murphy and bought me some white chocolate because he saw I was depriving myself entirely of it. Now, the same holy man, though, said in moderation. And so I do have a little white sugar, but I, I promise you, <laughs> <laughs> you don't believe it no I'm well not so I promise you, but I do watch it very, very carefully because if I go over a certain amount, uh I begin to lose my peace, I begin to worry about it, I begin to think maybe this is having some effect, and so forth um, so, so but <laughs> anyway, somehow uh food analogies just spring to my mind, so you will hear many more of them um. Now, in giving, it is in giving that we receive. This is a beautiful concept, but it is made unholy and unhappy by thinking that that demand, that rule, differs if you are living by yourself or if you're living with someone else because the ego thinks that in order to give to another, you must do something overt. The fact is, it makes no difference whether you do something overt or not. It is the peace that the gift contains that is the gift. And so being at peace around another is the greatest gift, and in fact the only gift you can give them. And so why would you do anything overt? because it will help you be more peaceful to do certain things. But notice that there are other things that you cannot do in peace. So you must see for yourself what you can do for another. And if you do not do it, you begin to feel guilty or anxious. And you must also see what you think would be a good thing to do for this person, but you personally can't do it in peace. So the rule is, do everything that you can for your relatives, your children, your parents, your friends, your employees, your boss, the people you come in contact with. Do everything you can think of doing but only what you can do in peace. If you will do everything that you can do, but only those things that you can do in peace, then the giving, the overt giving, will facilitate the peace. So the answer is not to withhold and to sit when you think you could be on your feet doing something for someone, Nor is the answer to be on your feet doing when you could sit and regain your peace. Peace is the sole criterion. And peace is giving. It is in being peaceful that you give. And it is in giving that you receive. When I first started uh, writing, I was in graduate school and I asked Gail if she would support me while well, I tried to write. Now, I was a good old boy from Texas, and uh, Gail was a redneck mama, and uh, this was not done. You did not. Your wife did not support you back in those days in Texas. Uh, and so, as I wrote during the day, I would make notes of everything that I did, how much time I spent writing, whether I took the garbage out, did I clean the sink, you know, did I flush the toilet properly, and whatever it was. And when she would come home, I would run to the door in absolute guilt and read her everything that I had done. This is that reciprocity. And it, that is, of course, just the other side of the coin. That is thinking that we must do something when we receive. And so we think we must do something in order to give, and we must do something in order to receive. What must you do in order to receive someone else's gift? The same thing you must do in order to give a gift. Be at peace. For if you receive the the guilt anxiously or guiltily, or meekly rush to think how you can repay it, Then you are not receiving the gift. And the person will feel slighted, at least on some deep level, because they realize all they have done is make you scared. So receive your gift in peace, and give your gift in peace. And be at peace if there's no one around. It's all the same, everything is the same, because there's only God. God is all that exists. And God is peace. And you are either in God or you're in a dream. And the only thing there is to do is to be peace. Because peace made you peace. And when you are peace, you are yourself. You're a healer. You're a friend. You are instinctively loyal. You're a good parent. Your house is blessed. Your car is taken care of. Your body is maintained, all without thinking. All the little suggestions and all the little rules that we make here Sunday after Sunday can be completely forgotten when you're at peace. These suggestions are made only because there are typical situations in which people lose their peace. But when you are at peace, you are doing everything there is to do, whether you're living with someone or not. But clearly, that's not the way relationships are looked at. People think when they read A Course in Miracles or or read books on relationships, and there are a lot of them now, aren't there? They think of their situation and they become sad. They think perhaps of the lost opportunities. This person they met years ago, why didn't they marry them? Why didn't they become a partner with them? Why didn't they accept... uh, an invitation for a date. Why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? Why did they move away from the city? The opportunity is lost. Their life is, in fact, ruined, they think, because they have no spiritual partner. They had a chance for a spiritual partnership, and they blew it. Or they've got the wrong partner. The situation is hopeless, and they're not willing to kill them, and so they must just sit there for the rest of their life because of course killing them is the only option they have and how do they know that the situation is hopeless well he stays up all night and watches uh, people's court and reruns of uh, my little Margie as a matter of fact I heard about People's Court for the first time, and I there happened to be a TV guide. So I was interested as to what People's Court is. Um, and so here it is, Monday. You missed it. It was this last Monday. Cases include the installation of acoustic ceiling material. Can you imagine what the other cases were? If this is the one they cite, you know. People actually stay up to what time is this? To watch this. Now, as I was flipping through this, I just happened to see this ad. This ad. Uh, did you see this ad? No, you're not going to admit to seeing TV Guide, are you? Now, fast action diet tablet triggers non stop fat melting <laughs> in only 24 to 48 hours. <laughs> Can you imagine the fun at parties you could have? <laughs> to drop one of these little diet pills in there, Kahlua fizz, you know, and trigger non-stop fat melting. <laughs> and they actually, it says here, Pam Stafford and overweight people all over the country are finally achieving freedom from fat. The F's are capitalized. Uh, and then they actually have a picture of uh, Pam Stafford, who, along with losing one hundred and thirty five pounds or something, uh, also became went from blonde to brunette. <laughs> <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> <All right. laughs> but this is what your spouse, your partner, garbage is up their mind with, right? Your situation is hopeless. Of course you're sad when they talk about relationships. They actually subscribe to it. Yeah. Or, it's sad because Hugh, on a Sunday, tells you about how you should look at the ego needs of your partner, your friend, And meet their needs. Not the needs that they tell you, but the needs that you see and that are obvious. The things that make them more peaceful. You do for them. Not the verbal requests that they make, because many people ask for what they do not want. This is so obvious, isn't it? Especially when we're attacked. They're not asking that we get angry. When they're sick, they're not asking that they be isolated and alone, and people who ask for money. It is obvious, isn't it, that giving them money will not necessarily make them happier. And so you look past the facade, and in your heart, you say, what is this, what is this person's needs? I have promised not to question their needs. Not my parents, not my children, not anyone. And so you see what the need is, and if you can meet it in peace, you meet it. And so where's the sadness there? The sadness is that many people hear a statement like that and say, oh, I don't have anyone to meet my needs. Do you see how the thing is turned upside down? It isn't having someone. It isn't that, it isn't that you're going to make this person happy by meeting their ego needs. You will make yourself happy by making their way easier. I don't know whether you'll make uh, make them happy or not. I don't know whether they'll receive it gladly or not. If they don't receive it gladly, then, of course, you don't repeat that particular gesture. That's obvious. So you, of course, are attempting to make their way easier. But I can't tell you whether or not you will succeed. And I can tell you that that will not make them truly happy. That will just make their way easier. It will allow them to be in a situation that is a little bit easier for them to turn to God. That's all that will happen. But it is in giving that you receive. And so I can tell you that this will make you happy to do everything that you can do for another person in peace. But it will not make them happy to receive. And it will not make you happy to get someone who will give and give and give and you don't have to give back. And many people think this is the key to a happy marriage, to get a servant who will give to them endlessly. But what if you are the servant? And some of you, of course, are in relationships in which you feel you give and give and give and you never receive it doesn't make any difference whatsoever because it is in giving that you will be happy, not in receiving. And it isn't from giving that you will be happy. It is in the act. It is in the motive. It is in the the lightning of the heart, the rising of the spirit. It is in this gentleness that you feel where you see something that might help this other person. And as I said before, it is not overt. It is peace. The peace you place in the gift, but it isn't the overt gift that carries the peace. It is your heart. It is your intent. It is your motive. It is your well-wishing. Now, I realize that many of you are not at the place that I'm speaking of. You are not yet capable of giving without looking to see if it is properly received. If you know that about yourself, if you know you cannot give a gift without a string attached to it, if you know that at this point your gifts are manipulative, then it is best that you not give any overt gifts. It is best that you simply content yourself with peace at this time until you can do some overt things in peace. But if you believe you've reached the point where you can do a few things and expect no gratitude, no acknowledgement, then begin practicing that now. Decide on the gift you wish to give. Give it and be vigilant that you take no look as to how it's received that you take no thought as to whether it was noticed. You simply give it. And then see for yourself if the statement is true, in giving we receive. So people, hear the concept, spiritual partner. Let me read you something. I've been talking to you uh, the last month or so about this little section at the beginning of chapter 30 called The New Beginning. Now, it's only one, two, three, four pages long. And this is the way it ends, on page 584. And this this is just one of many places where you can see that what the Course says about the Holy Relationship is not different than what it's saying about everything else. So the first two rules, this little section, uh, of course, gives you seven rules on how to begin the day over. And the first one, of course, is uh, that you picture the kind of day you want and you uh, make the decision or you say to yourself, I will make no decisions by myself. And then the second step is that you do essentially the same thing throughout the day. So it's. In this little ending, it talks about these first two steps, which, of course, are much, uh, there's much more detail to it than what I just said. We said you can begin a happy day with a determination not to make decisions by yourself. This seems to be a real decision in itself, and yet you cannot make decisions by yourself. The only question really is with what you choose to make them. That is really all. The first rule, then, is not coercion, but a simple statement of a simple fact. You will not make decisions by yourself whatever you decide, for they are made with idols or with God, and you ask ask help of Antichrist or Christ, and which you choose will join with you and tell you what to do. Now, the term Antichrist in A Course in Miracles is not used as a separate but equal power opposed to God. It is simply used as a shadow, as, as as the word shadow might be contrasted to the word light. So, in choosing Christ, you choose yourself. In choosing the Antichrist, you simply choose your ego or the belief that you are something separate and apart from everything that lives. Your day is not at random. It is set by what you choose to live it with and how the friend whose counsel you have sought perceives your happiness. There's the word friend. That makes people sad. The word friend makes people sad. They don't have any friends, they don't think. But look how it's being used. You always ask advice before you can decide on anything. Let this be understood, and you can see there cannot be coercion here, nor grounds for opposition that you may be free. There is no freedom from what must occur, and if you think there is, you must be wrong. The second rule as well is but a fact. For you and your adviser must agree on what you want before it can occur. There is another word that makes people unhappy, advisor. I have no spiritual advisor. I cannot hear the voice of the friend who watches over me. You see what the ego has done with that? Because I can't hear a voice, you say, or someone says, they have no friend who watches over them. Unless it is translated into behavior, the ego thinks it is not real. And so the ego thinks there is no peace Unless there's not physical fighting between, you know, if there's no physical fighting between nations, then the ego thinks maybe the word peace has become real. And, of course, it has nothing to do with that. Of course you have someone who watches over you. It makes no difference whether you hear words or not. And, of course, you have a friend. It makes no difference whether you have someone to go to lunch with or whether the other people go to lunch without you at the office. You have one friend. You have a best and only friend. There is only one friend. There is only one God. There is only one reality. There is only one self. And of course you have it. And the world, I can promise you, will never confirm truth. Do not look to the world for confirmation of these truths. You have a friend, you have a guardian, you have an advisor, you have a home, but you will not find that fact confirmed in the world. The second rule is well is but a fact, for you and your advisor must agree on what you want before it can occur it is but this agreement that permits all things to happen nothing can be caused without some form of union be it a dream of judgment or the voice for god and so we do turn for advice before we make a decision and you make a million decisions a day you are making one decision after another after another after another as you go through the day most of them of course are unconscious they become more and more conscious as you go along as you become more aware you become more aware of the decisions you are making and you will become more aware that you literally turn to either your ego or to yourself to advise you as to what to do you do not make a decision by yourself but it feels like it's by yourself if you turn to the ego And so it's that feeling of anxiety and incomplete information and what will the consequences be and what are the ramifications and look at all the mistakes I've made before. It is that feeling that causes the terror because you think you are turning to yourself alone to make this decision. And that's why the least decision causes anxiety. Notice that you cannot even open the refrigerator door without being anxious. Or move a chair. Or bring in cut flowers. But notice that you must turn to something as to what you do. So the answer isn't to, to barge ahead. If you see you're anxious, don't barge ahead. Pause. And if you have consulted the wrong advisor consult the right one. It's as simple as that. If you are trusting your mind when it is worrying, learn to trust your mind when it is peaceful. It is that simple. Almost everyone in this building at this moment trusts their mind when it is worrying more than they trust their mind when it is peaceful. That is why the dispensable church is an insane asylum. Decisions cause results because they are not made in isolation. They are made by you and your advisor, for yourself and for the world as well. The day you want, you offer to the world, for it will be what you have asked for, and will reinforce the rule of your advisor in the world. Whose kingdom is the world for you today? What kind of day will you decide to have? Now listen to this next paragraph. And see why the concept of relationships, spiritual partnerships, holy relationships, and all this stuff, friendship, is not a sad concept. If looked at properly, it needs but two who would have happiness this day to promise it to all the world. It needs but two to understand that they cannot decide alone to guarantee the joy they ask for will be wholly shared for they have understood the basic law that makes decision powerful and gives it all effects that it will ever have. It needs but two, and these two are joined before there can be a decision. Let this be the one reminder that you keep in mind, and you will have the day you want, and give it to the world by having it yourself. Your judgment has been lifted from the world by your decision for a happy day, and as you have received, so must you give. And so it is only seeing your friend in your roommate or your child or your friend or your spouse that allows you to make a decision with the proper counselor. And so it makes no difference whether there is a body present or not because we think that somehow we must get a body. We don't have a body and we've got to find one. Before it's too late, gotta to find a body. I don't have a spiritual partner. The day the vacancy sign in heaven went out. <laughs> That's a good song. i will tell uh, John's not here. Uh, John Hunter's not here, but I think sing a good song. Good country western song. The day the vacancy sign in heaven. It is never too late. Because you don't need a body. If it is more peaceful for you to have a body, if it would truly help your advance to have a body living with you, you will have a body living with you. That will make you no know, further along the person who doesn't have a body living with them. <laughs> and it will not help you to trade in your body The body that's living with you for another body. You see, what we think is that everything will remain the same. All factors remain the same. If all factors will remain the same, I could use a new spouse. But all factors will not remain the same. They don't remain the same in the world. When you trade in your present partner for another partner, or your present maid for another maid, or your present employee for another employee, you will simply get a different set of ego problems. You may not get the ones that you're trying to avoid with this person, but you'll get a batch uh, of new ones that this person doesn't have. Does that mean you shouldn't uh, fire this person and hire someone else? Of course it doesn't mean that. It just means that within the world, one illusion is the same as another. That implies no behavior. You must do what will help you be more peaceful, even in the world, because you don't believe that one illusion is the same as another, but it is. And on ego level, you accomplish nothing by endlessly switching people. Does that mean you shouldn't switch people? It certainly does not, because it may be more helpful for you to live by yourself or not to continue trying to walk home with this particular ego. but never desert another person. If you can see the distinction there, this will lift a great sadness from your life. You think that to fire someone, or to stop going out to lunch with an individual, or to get a divorce, or to not date so-and-so, or to not visit your parents on, on Christmas, or to not give your grown child money, or something like that, You think that in order to do that, to take that step, you must withdraw your heart from this person. And just the opposite is called for. If you need to cut back physically, you need to step up mentally. If you think that there is the least possibility that you might interpret what you're doing as a withdrawing of a blessing, then you must step up your mental blessing of this person. Never desert anyone. Do everything you can for anyone in peace. But if you must stop seeing the person for a while, stop seeing them. But let there be no rancor. Let there be no judgment. Don't pick up the phone and tell people why you are doing it. Because you will judge if you do that kind of thing. Bless them. Be their friend and be their friend overtly in any way you can if you can have no physical contact with this person whatsoever then so be it but do not let that become a sad lonely betraying place in your mind never betray anyone never turn from anyone we do this in the world we desert our children we are deserted by our parents People get mad at each other and do the silliest things. How many times have you been deserted in your life? How many times will you turn from? How many times did your friends not stay with you? Your parents didn't remain parents. You will do exactly the same thing in another form if you don't watch out, if you aren't careful, if you aren't vigilant. It's not necessary to do that. And for heaven's sake, don't do it in the name of truth. Step away from whomever you must step away from, but be their friend and do everything you can overtly to make them happy and bless them. If you can do it in perfect, perfect peace. Or they're on the spiritual path. They're on a spiritual path, but they're on the wrong spiritual path. That's 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 another one. That's still another one as to why it must be unhappy, why the whole thing must be a tragedy. Do you really think it is reasonable for your partner or your friend or your parents or your grown child to believe that a little old Jewish woman in New York City had a book dictate to her from Jesus? That's not reasonable. Why would you expect them to believe such a cock and bull story? God taking sides at Columbia University. God taking sides in the Ivy League? Everybody knows that God loves Yale. Columbia University And then there's the whole question of Jesus. Would Jesus actually talk to someone Jewish? (laughs) Huh? At Columbia University, hearing voices in the night. And so it doesn't matter whether anybody believes anything. There's a book for everyone. There is a philosophy for everyone. There's a teaching for everyone. There's a path for everyone. There is no right path. There is no superior path. The Course in Miracles is not superior. It is as close to perfect as you can get, but there are many, many teachings in this world that are are as close to perfect as you can get in the world. Many of them. And there are many that are not perfect, but they are perfect for that person at that time. In my family, I have had my brothers and sisters turn to almost every sort of cult, uh, and brainwashing kind of group that you can think of. I'm not going to name them because this, of course, is going to offend people. But I could give you a list of almost every religious nut group that people agree on is a nut group and I would have had at least one brother or sister or cousin or something that has been a member of it. Let me tell you that it is clear to me that those so-called nut groups took those people one or two or three or four or five steps forward. There was something in it that did help them advance. And when the time came for them to lay it aside, it did not have the lifelong hold that everyone predicted. And they have either laid them aside completely or they've laid them aside in the sense that they are no longer rabid about the whole thing. They're moderate and gentle and they take what they can use from the particular group and they discard the other so never try to talk someone out of their book or their meeting or whatever it is you don't know what they may be receiving from it the next line is and it is helping and it is in helping you awake that I awake. Now, we're getting very close to the end of our time, and I I don't have uh, enough time to go into this uh, in the detail that I wanted to. It is in helping you awake that I awake. So I'll just say a few things on that subject, and then maybe we'll continue this uh, again next Sunday, and we'll finish the, uh, the vows. So if having a spiritual partnership and having a holy relationship calls for the same thing, whether you have a body living with you or not, (laughs) Uh, Then, uh, another way of saying what it calls for to awaken or to help someone else awake, which must be the same thing, is that all you need to do is to be happy. How can you be happy? That's all that's being asked for, to form a holy relationship, your holy relationship, to have a partnership, to feel the closeness of your friend, whether your friend appears to come through a body with you appears to be a, a gentle voice that you hear, or, feel, or, or appears to be a presence that you have with you. It makes no difference what form the truth appears to take. So how are you happy? How can you be happy? If happiness is all that's called for, if when you are happy you are doing everything that you need to do, how can you be happy? Well, there are so many ways of stating this, but one way that we've stated before and it's very easy for most people to understand, is you simply do each thing that you have to do in peace. You look at what it is you have to do now, see that it's beginning, this activity. Do not barge into it. Do not take the anxiety or the depression or the defeat from the last activity. Do not bring the future into it by rushing to some hour on the clock. But forgetting who you are in the world, forgetting what you have done in the world, forgetting what you think is going to be called upon, what you will be called upon to do in the world in the future, you walk into this activity totally unencumbered. This is how to be at peace. You take each activity, whether it's driving home, or eating a meal, or carrying in the groceries for someone, or washing out the sink, or whatever it is, you take that activity and you look at it, and you enter it unencumbered, with no past. This is enlightenment. This is awakening. All that awakening is, is laying aside your past, so that now you begin to do things without bringing your past into it.